I'm Ted Robertson. You're listening to a special edition of Veterans Voice, Veterans Voice presented by USAA and coming to you from the Optum Podcast Studio here on the campus of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A special guest today doing a project that I think you'll find very, very valuable in the form of a podcast. I want you to meet Mr. Kyle Blakely. Kyle is the CEO of Avant Strategies, a long background in public policy and working with people who are trying to get elected so that they can influence and affect public policy. And so an outgrowth of that was the creation of the COS 23, The Mayor's Race Podcast. Kyle, welcome to The Veteran's Voice. Ted, thanks for having me. I'm glad to, happy to be here today. It's a real pleasure. I was so excited when I heard this project was coming online because you've decided to do something with um, several of the candidates for mayor in a very crowded race. You want the community to get to know them. Now, obviously, coming from Veterans Voice and Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, we're here to help veterans, even if that means helping them understand the political landscape in this city, whether you're new or even if you're cycling out. Well, Kyle, you have an interesting take on that. But before we get there, let's talk about your background a little bit and how we arrive at this place today. Well, so probably over the last 25 years or so, I've probably worked on 60 local political campaigns, probably half ballot issues, half candidate campaigns. Um, I've worked on four mayoral races, numerous city council races. And just kind of as I started to look at this year, uh, it was pretty interesting with Mayor Southers being term limited, communities kind of at a pivotal, pivotal point from a growth standpoint and crime and some other key issues. And then you started to look at how the, the mayor's race shaped up. We ended up with 12 candidates right now. Um, five of them have held elective office for eight years or more in one way or another, either on county commission, city council. Uh, we have statewide elected, you know, person in the, in the race too. And then we have a couple of other folks who've never been elected, but have a sizable amount of money so far that they've raised. And um, it was to me just kind of one of the more interesting races that there really are a lot of qualified people running. Um, and so I thought one of the things that might be tougher for voters would be to sort through all of them and kind of understand who might be uh, matching up most closely to their political beliefs or the issues that are most important to them and their stances on those issues. And so I thought the podcast would be a great way to do that because the episodes will live throughout the campaign. So even if somebody comes across it in the middle of March, three weeks before the election, uh, there's all kinds of content there for them to go listen to and understand the, the, the candidates better. And give the web address for that podcast. The website address is cos23mayorsrace.com. And out right now, there are seven candidate issues out. Uh, our first weekly episode uh, coming out soon. But the uh, did individual episodes on seven of the 12 candidates. And then in the next episode that, that's coming out, I talk about who the other five candidates are and how people might find information about them. But we really focused on the seven that we thought were, or who I thought were probably the, the most likely uh, to be able to at least make it into the runoff. So as we speak to our veteran and military-connected listeners, 
Why is this such an important thing for them to know about and to engage with? Well, I, you know, obviously the military community in Colorado Springs is incredibly important to our community in a lot of ways. Um, and it's there's a large number of active duty and retired military in the community. And um, maybe not all of them vote here, but if they do or want to, uh, this is an easy way for them to get to understand the candidates and what some of those key issues are very quickly. And again, it as, as we've talked about before, uh, all politics are local. And so really what's happening locally uh, is much more important in your lives and impacts your lives much more directly than a lot of things that happen uh, in Washington or even at the state level in a lot of cases. So this is a way to get engaged politically in the community, understand the issues, and learn about the candidates. And again, the the size of the military community uh, here in Colorado Springs, uh, those voters could have a significant impact on the results of the election. Out of close to 700, almost 800,000 people in El Paso County, right? Uh, contains five military bases. Roughly 100,000 of those are a combination of active duty, retired, transitioning. That's about yeah. right. So, I mean, that's like 12 to 15 percent of the population. Probably the vast majority of them are voting age. Mm -hmm. So when, when you look at it in terms of registered voters, it's probably an even higher percentage. And in the recent, uh, I'd say, three to five years, if memory serves me correctly, a couple of very significant economic studies have been done to show that the Department of Defense economic sector in this city makes up roughly 50% of our economy here. But again, it's such an important part of the community. And I think if you listen to all the candidates, all of them seem to understand that and are incredibly supportive of the military community here and whatever it, it takes to you know, strengthen that community or solidify that community here in Colorado Springs. Um, I think they all are are strong supporters of that. But again, there's a lot of other issues that impact us locally. And so it's still a good idea to, to kind of understand where the candidates fall on some of those and be able to make a, an informed vote or informed decision. And for those of you listening, the web address, again, is cos23mayorsrace.com. And there, uh, right on the front page, are linked the first seven of the interviews. And there will be weekly podcasts released from there. Your first look at this will give you a sense for, you know, you take it one by one and listen at your leisure. That's, that's the important part. Uh, sound bites just don't serve real purposes, and lots of noisy candidate forums and debates and things are slated in the next few weeks in the run-up to our April election. This is a chance for you to sit and quietly listen and absorb these podcasts to roughly 40 minutes. So, uh, Kyle, uh, let's take Sally Clark. She was your very first. Talk about that interview, how it went, and, and give, some, give your thoughts, if you would, on, on what emerges from this for you. Well, I, you know, it was interesting for me because that's the first time I've ever done a podcast episode. And so I was interviewing Sally and um, she's incredibly articulate about where she stands on the issues. So it was rather easy to do the interview. Um, you know, she's been on county commission for 12 years, city council before, uh, very experienced uh, at this and was very clear about where she stands on the issues. So um 
what I kind of learned uh, beyond that, really, the seven candidates we interviewed all I felt like did a great job of being able to articulate their positions. And so it, it should be pretty easy for somebody listening to really get a good feel for where each candidate stands on the different issues and, and how they might lead. We even ask all of them, you know, what's your leadership style? Um, really, uh, again, you can kind of hear some of the differences there on, on how people, uh, how they prefer to lead and everything. So it was, it was very interesting to me. I knew six of the seven before I even interviewed them. So it was fun there to be able to talk to them in kind of a little bit of a different light, um, and, and learn a little bit more about them. Uh, but they all, uh, again, I, the episodes are I think anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes. So we, you know, we tried to keep it in that time frame to make sure they were easily digestible. I think if the episodes were an hour and a half each, I don't think people would really want to sit there and go through all that. But as you said, it's much more in depth than what somebody might get at a debate or a forum where there's 12 candidates in an hour and a half and each of them might get to speak for six or seven minutes. It's still a good idea to go to some of the forums because some of them have specific topics that they're covering or in, in a little more detail. And you can kind of gauge, you know, seeing someone in person gives you kind of another level of, of how you might evaluate them. So going to the forums, I think, is still a, a, a good idea. I just really felt like these podcasts would give people a, an easy way to learn a lot about the candidates. And when you head over to cos23mayorsrace.com and you click on that first play button, what you'll hear is a candidate who is relaxed and free to articulate their views and their values. They're not challenged. Uh, Kyle, you are not endorsing any of these candidates. You're not um, You're not campaigning for any of them. Correct. It's all very, uh, basically the same set of questions with... With, you found a way to do that without being repetitive. So it's uh, you're going to hear from the candidate, though they may be answering similar questions one to another, uh, but you hear from the candidate themselves. And that's what I think this sets COS 23, the mayor's race, above and apart from other forums and settings like this. Yeah, I specifically asked them to talk about their three top issues so you can really understand where they're focused. And then we... There's probably three or four other key issues this year. We make sure we cover those as well. So everybody can talk about them, but you can really hear where their focus is by the top three issues that they, uh, you know, that they believe are most important. Uh, and so, uh, again, I just thought it was an, uh, a nice way to do this. You're absolutely right. I'm not endorsing anybody. Um, the, like I said, I, I know a lot of them. There's a lot of experience there. I think there's several people in the group that could do the job very well. And so, again, that was part of the reason why I wanted to do this, because uh, if I'm personally having a tough choice, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who might feel the same way, and this can help them sort through that. Surprising similarities and stark differences. Um, interestingly enough, the... Uh, you know, public safety, uh, dealing with the increase in crime that we're seeing, but that's happening all over the country right now, uh, was top of mind for a lot of the candidates. How they might deal with that might have some different nuances or different pieces and parts of that, but uh, housing affordability, homelessness, all of those uh, were kind of up there. There's one issue in the community right now that I think had some variety of opinion 
between the in the seven in the group of seven and that's the new water issue that the city passed that the city would have to have 128 percent of the water necessary in order for a new project to annex into the city and that 128 percent would have to cover everybody who lives here now and the new annexation coming in as a way of just ensuring that the the community has enough water to meet those demands um, it was a fairly controversial issue when it went in front of city council. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I understood where all the candidates are on that issue. And, uh, you know, the ones that were on city council voted for it. Um, and a couple of the others don't feel like it might be the right solution as it's been voted on, that it needs more discussion, that there needs to be some more public input and, and possibly, look at it again. Now, it's got to go through city council first before it goes to the mayor. But if there's a collaboration there and there's four new city council members out of the nine that we're going to have this year, uh, there might be some interest in looking at that issue again. But the candidates, some of the candidates had just different views on on how they saw that issue right now. And so, uh, again, as far as differences, that's probably one of the main ones that somebody would pick up on uh, in the interviews. On the political spectrum, from left to right, did anybody stand out in any particular area as being someplace on that continuum? You know, I, I, again, since I've been doing this for so long, I kind of had, I have my perceptions going into this of where they all fall on the, the political spectrum. And it's important to note that the mayor's race here is nonpartisan. The candidates do not run based on their political party. But because of their stance on certain issues, you understand where they fall on that spectrum from conservative to liberal with the moderates being in the middle. I wouldn't say there's anybody in the race who would qualify as very liberal. Um, I think what you find are uh, the person who is probably most moderate in how they're positioning themselves right now is Yemi Mobilade. And then all of the other candidates are probably to the right of him on different places along the spectrum. And so, you know, you have some like Daryl Glenn, who is probably more toward the right and more conservative, um, but also, you know, Lojinos Gonzalez Jr., Wayne Williams, Sally, Tom Strand. I think they're all conservative to a certain degree with maybe some nuances in between there. So from my standpoint, that's going to be the other thing that's interesting here because out of the 12 candidates and of the other five, I've been talking a lot about those six and then Andrew Dalby, who is also pretty conservative and has given himself $400,000 for his campaign, could have an impact. And then the other five candidates, most of them are also conservative too. So you you really start to see that most of the candidates are on the, the right of the political spectrum, which is not surprising in Colorado Springs. But what it does when you have a situation where the top two end up in a runoff in May, you start to look at what that path to victory or path to the runoff might look like for some of these candidates. And you see, you know, Yemi sitting there as the most moderate. Well, is that, are there enough people to the left of that and in the unaffiliateds? And, you know, he's also a small business owner and a pastor and um, he's got some other niche constituencies there. Um, it, could that be enough to get him into the runoff? You know, in 2011, in the first strong mayor's race campaign, Richard Scorman was in that position, kind of the moderate, and got the most votes in the first round. 
didn't win in the runoff. But again, as you start to look at some of the similarities in the candidates from now and in the past, you could make the case that Yimmy might have an opportunity there. But again, he's never been elected before. There's five candidates who've all won elected office before. So their their names have been checked off on ballots repeatedly by people in this community. They have strong name ID, uh, you know, probably some really strong constituents that support them a lot. So again, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out and who makes it into the runoff. I, I doubt anybody can get 50% of the vote in the first round. Um, so I'm just kind of going on the assumption that we're going to have a runoff and really anxious to kind of see who's in it. The basics, um, in your view, what are the basics that a, a good mayor should have? Well, I I think for part of it, um, obviously, is just strong leadership and conviction and vision. And I, I, there might be some people who would argue with it, but I don't think too many people would argue that Mayor Southers over the last eight years has done a, a really good job. You'll see Colorado Springs is more prominent nationally. Um, you know, our economy held strong coming out of COVID. Um, just, uh, you know, we've had a lot of wins in economic development, and the mayor isn't directly responsible for that, but has a hand in that in, in talking to companies that come here. And so I, I think he's exhibited some strong leadership in a lot of those areas. And I think that's what you want in a mayor and somebody that is also uh, looks at the entire community as who they work for, and maybe not just a segment of the community, but also, you know, looking at um, just everywhere, whether it's geographic or demographic or, or whatever, um, making sure that they're working for the community as a whole. Uh, I think that's what a lot of people would probably want. You know, in this city, for the years that I've been here, and it's been since 1992, the kingmakers have been presented to me as people in the development community. Are developers treated fairly or unfairly as uh, influencers in politics and policy? You know, I, I don't know if I look at it as being, being treated fairly or unfairly, but just, I mean, if you, if you look at the industry and understand its place in our local economy and also understand that there's constantly legislation uh, at the state level that impacts that industry. Uh, a long time ago, they realized they needed to have a political uh, part of their organization uh, to lobby or, or help influence those things. And development's a lucrative business. So, you know, they're going to have a lot of money. They're going to have the opportunity to to put that money on the candidates and issues that they feel strongest about. You know, one thing, I mean, I've lived here since 91. You always hear a lot of times people complain about developers yes. related to growth. Well, developers don't decide growth. They respond to it. Um, when the economy went south, building went down. If they were controlling it, building would have stayed up. So it's they respond to those growth issues and the economy. Um, but, you know, they have the money to to – influence certain issues and and support various candidates and I, I think anybody if anybody else was in that position they'd probably do it too and it's just interesting as these campaigns heat up and the rhetoric starts to fly uh, 
that word is uh, developer or being attached to developers is often used as a foil. Sometimes uh, it, you can. Um, it's it's one of those things where I think there might be a segment of the the community that doesn't look at that industry all that well, but I think there's another part of the community that that's a real positive for. And you can probably say that about a lot of industries. So I, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those areas. And, and again, it's because it's been over time that they've built up their, you know, their political arm, their government affairs committee within their industry and have, put the effort into it and everything. They're probably a lot farther along than a lot of other industries in terms of, uh, you know, having an impact on local elections. And so it, it they're definitely going to have an impact on this one. I mean, the water issue we talked about right now has caused a division in the development community. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of money coming out of that industry in this round, but on different candidates um, also on city council candidates, because that's also an important part of making decisions. But I think there's a, a pretty sizable split in that industry this year. And so that may, you may see some additional money coming in because of that split. Is there a candidate out of the 12 that strikes you as a populist? Somebody who is for the people? Um, you know, I don't know that I... Because me personally, when you say a populist candidate, that is somewhat of a negative term for me. It, I feel like I struggle with that sometimes as being a, a, a positive necessarily. So I didn't really hear anybody that I thought, wow, they sound just like what I, you know, how I, I look at that. Um, now, I of the ones I interviewed I mean, and especially, you know, some of the ones, you know, Sally, Wayne, Daryl, Lohinos, Tom, that have held elected office before, um, they, you can tell that they feel strongly about supporting the community kind of as a whole. And I think Yimmy did too and, and everything. And, you know, the other episode with Andrew Dalby, he has some very specific issues. Um, but I think it's the ones who've been elected in Yimmy that really, uh, probably talk a little bit more about, you know, wanting to make sure that they're helping the community as a whole. And so from that standpoint, I guess to a certain degree, that's kind of a populist opinion or whatever, because it's trying to appeal to a, a wider audience. Um, but what I consider to be like on the national level where you see populist candidates, um, I didn't really see anybody that kind of kind of fit that here. Kyle, for many years, this city was run by a city manager. Not too long ago, that system of government saw a huge change. Talk about what our system of government looks like now at the city level and uh, how that might factor into whether you could or could not make a, a good mayor. You know, now with the it's called, it's referred to oftentimes as the strong mayor form of government. You know, we used to have the council manager. Now I think it's strong mayors also called mayor council. I believe I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but we just always call it the strong mayor. And I think, you know, they, we voted on it locally in 2010 to switch to that form of government. 
I think it fits with Colorado Springs' growth over the last few decades and now the 39th largest city in the United States. I think it made sense to, to move to that form of government where the mayor is the CEO. They're the one that's in charge. Um, obviously, their chief of staff is an important position, kind of the chief operating officer, you might say, uh, for the city. Um, that's important. But uh, so it's a little bit more where the mayor's the executive branch, the council's the legislative branch. Um, it still requires collaboration. I mean, you really do. If you want to get something done, there needs to be collaboration between the two. And that's something else that I think Mayor Southers did really well when he came in. Uh, prior to that, the first strong mayor didn't necessarily have that great of a relationship with council. It was more adversarial. Uh, mayor Southers came in and I think made it a point to have a better relationship with council. And I think that's why you've seen uh, just our city maybe flourish a little bit more over the last eight years is because of that relationship. But uh, I think it was a good thing for us to move to the strong mayor, um, again, just based on our size and the the issues facing our city that are, you know, over time. Uh, I just think it's important, and, and I think it's been very successful. We have, uh, how would you describe city staff here and its role in the mayoral in, uh, administration? Um. You know, it's a, it's a little bit like at the federal level where somebody comes in, you know, the president comes in, hires cabinet directors and maybe a few levels below that. But the, the rank and file people, boots on the ground, doing the work every day doesn't change that much. And that's kind of the same way it happens now. The mayor may come in, there may be, you know, they're going to choose their chief of staff. They may change some other positions, but maybe not. Um and so really then the, the staff just begins to focus on the new mayor's priorities and their vision and that. And, you know, I've, I've worked on various projects with city staff since I moved here in 91. So for over 30 years, I've been on Parks Board. I was on the Citizens Transportation Advisory Board. I've uh, had contracts with the city. Uh, I... So over those 30 years, I've worked with a lot of people at this city. And one thing I've always been impressed with is how much they care. I think our city staff is great. And so um, whoever becomes mayor, I think that's a real advantage for them being able to step into that role with such a great staff behind them uh, that, that works hard and, and really does really has the city's best interest at heart. To me, that's a, a fortunate thing for whoever wins the mayor's race. Now, this next question speaks to being very seasoned in public policy and in as a public servant and somebody who is a brand newcomer to politics and wants to serve in a leadership position. And there are examples of both, of course, as you'd noted here. Uh, and, and by their weight, there are five or so that really uh, come out on top as having had a lot of experience in um, getting collaboration and cooperation and working with teams and staffs and others who have none and some who have been at those lower levels and now want to ascend to the next level up, which is from a council seat, for example, to the mayor's office. The Yeah, I, I we have a, an interesting mix of candidates and the you know, one of the things that I like, I, 
that that I think has been helpful is the first strong mayor we ever had had never held elective office before, Steve Bach. So right away, there's a precedent that you don't have to have elected experience and able to, to serve in that role. So I think that's what you see with Yemi. He hasn't held elective office. He worked for the city. He worked for the Chamber of Commerce. He started three businesses. He's been on numerous nonprofit boards. Um, so he's had leadership positions and understands the city in a lot of ways, just hasn't been elected. So there's every possibility that he's going to, you know, that he might be in the runoff and might get elected mayor. I would say that experience has probably served him well and uh, would probably do a great job. Um, the other five, again, who've had elected uh, experience, um, all of them, I, several of them are retired military that had incredible leadership positions in their military roles too. So they, their leadership experience comes not just from being elected, but also from their previous experience. You know, you look at, I think out of those candidates, uh, Wayne is probably the only one, Wayne Williams is probably the only one who's been elected. Uh, when he was elected secretary of state in Colorado, he was the top person in that department. Uh, similar to how the mayor is over the city. Council members, again, it's one of nine. It's a little more collaborative. But again, you also, you've got to take a leadership position on a lot of issues. Uh, so it, it is an interesting mix of candidates from that standpoint. But, you know, again, there's a lot of them that I think could do a really good job. Agreed. And it's been interesting to watch this process unfold. As we close out, I want to do two things. I want to ask your your least favorite moments and your favorite moments. And then I want to talk about the next podcast in the series that's coming up. So my least favorite moments from the interviews so yes. far? Yeah. Um, boy, I, I don't know that I would say that there was anything that I was like maybe disappointed in. It might be me butchering somebody's name or uh, stumbling through something, which I'm pretty good at. Uh, so any disappointments might've just been in my own performance. Uh, the best part of it to me was kind of after looking at all seven of them, I felt like it accomplished what I wanted it to, that each candidate was able to present themselves in a way for voters to get to know them, understand where they are on the issues and get a feel for their personality and leadership style. So I was really happy that when it, because again, I'd never done a podcast before, so I had no idea what it might come out like. Uh, so I was very happy with the way they they came out. The next episode uh, is, I'm kind of excited about it. It was fun. Um, I interviewed two retired professors from Colorado College, political science professors, Dr. Bob Levy and Dr. Tom Cronin, who have both been in Colorado Springs for, I mean, I think Dr. Levy moved here in 68. Dr. Cronin, probably not too long after that. Both have been involved with the college for decades, uh, both written numerous books on politics, pay very close attention to local politics. So it was fun for me to kind of bring them in and get their perspective on this because, yeah, I've done it. I've worked on campaigns, but I don't study it for a living like they do. So it was really interesting to get their take on it. And they jump right in and talk about kind of who they see as the front runners and where the other candidates might be able to sneak into the runoff and what some of the important issues are. And so 
it was just a, a really fun episode to do, and um, I'm looking forward to it coming out and seeing what the, the response and feedback is to it. COS23mayorsrace.com is the web address. The seven top candidates are there. Uh, their interviews are available for you to download and listen to at your leisure. You can get this on any of your favorite podcast platforms. As we make the case for our military-connected listeners to head over to the podcast site and start listening to these candidates, what thoughts would you like to offer them in closing, Kyle? Again, I'd love for everybody to listen to all seven of the candidates to, to get a firm idea or a real good idea of who they might be most aligned with. But just engaging locally more. Uh, I'd love to see uh, our military community vote. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see everybody vote in higher numbers, obviously, than what we've had in the past. The last mayoral election had 37% turnout. I'd love to see that go up. And one way to do that would be just to see even more and more of our military community get involved in the election and vote. Uh, I, I would really encourage them to do that. Kyle Blakely, CEO of Avant Strategies and the founder, creator, and host of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, again at cos23mayorsrace.com. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us here on Veterans Voice. We appreciate the service that you're performing for the community. Thank you, Ted. I really appreciate it. I'm Ted Robertson. You've been listening to a special edition of Veterans Voice. Veterans Voice, presented by USAA, originates from the Optum Podcast Studio here on the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center campus located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We've had some wonderful conversations with lots of great people. You can hear them all at veteransvoice.us. That's veteransvoice.us.